All right, Mr. Arnold, should we get started? Yep, let's get started, everyone. <clears throat> so welcome, uh, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, this is our second uh, career career meeting. Um, we have uh, the unique distinction of Mr. Snap today. Um, I'll read out his bio, but before I get started, we're going to have the same format as last meeting. So we'll spend about We'll spend about 20 minutes um, learning more about Mr. Snap and his background, um, both at Bellarmine College as well as his business career. And then what we'll do, um, we'll open it up to questions. And Samartha and Ashok, are you guys going to facilitate the questions, same as last time? Yep, sure. All right. So with that, um, I have the unique pleasure of introducing Mr. Snap. Um, quick background on him. Um, as I mentioned, he's a 1990 Bellarmine graduate. He was both a swimmer and a water polo player. Um, from there, he attended USC to play water polo. Um, and he also went there to get an education and, and was able to graduate in finance. Um, during his time there, he had the opportunity to play water polo for USC and they were the top ranked team in the country during this time there. Um, not everything went according to plan and he, he was uh, forced to have back surgery and I'm sure he'll touch on that as part of his discussion. Um, he graduated from USC, was elected to be their commencement speaker, um, but was still unsure about what he wanted to do. Um, he knew that an accounting background and an accounting career was an opportunity to pay rent, learn about different industries, and stay in LA with his girlfriend. So that's what he did after college. Um, he also, uh, during that time, had a third back surgery and decided that he wanted to move beyond accounting. He applied to graduate schools and was accepted to the University of Virginia's business school, the Darden School of Business. Um, it was also during that time that he began to transition his interest away from water polo and found a new sport, which happened to be business. Um, and at the age of 26, he started his first company, which he sold when he was 31 years old. Um, so since then, he started, built, fixed other companies in a broad range of industries. So I think he's going to be able to give you guys a very varied perspective on his well, background. The thing is, it's from, it's from a kid. Uh, Father Wade? <laughs> we got Father Wade on there. Hopefully we'll get him to mute. Um, but, but again, along the way, um, he's had an opportunity to work at a variety of different companies, um, including Microsoft. So he'll touch on that. Um, and, and again, what's great about Mr. Snap's background is just how how much variety and different experiences he's had throughout his career. Currently, he just launched his own company, Carmia, which he plans to make the Amazon of charities. So he'll touch on that as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce Mr. Snap and give him the opportunity to 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 speak to you all. No, doesn't show me either. So. With, with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Snap. Yeah, well, I can't see you, but. Great, thanks, Pat. Uh, so first of all, I, I just wanna um, 
throw a shout out to Pat and uh, Father Wade, who I think we hear in the background, and and Father Cobb and others that, quite frankly, um, all of us need to understand. I mean, these people wake up every day to make our lives better and, and to make an impact on us. And I think that'll come through a little bit here and a couple of things I want to say. Um, so in a matter of, of 15, 20 minutes, I, I really um, want to really land on, on three things, and I've got some closing thoughts as well. Um, you know, the, the first thing is really a common definition of what career success is. Um, for most people. The second one is I want to challenge and reframe that definition a little bit. Um, and then the third thing is I'm going to leave you all with a little bit of a challenge about um, about the man in the glass. And uh, some of you may have, maybe have heard that before as well. Um, but like I said, first off, thanks to Pat, Father Wade, Father Cobb, others that quite frankly, um, you know, really helped develop who I am, whether I realized it or not. And I guarantee you I didn't at the time. That'll be a little bit of a theme here. Um, Next, I think it's important to, to cover, I mean, the very fact that you're at Bellarmine, the very fact that you're on this call in your lunch hour, the very fact that you've got curiosity and interest in, in your own career path um, is pretty telling. And, and to be honest, everyone on this call is already a success and, and, and you will be, I think, a financial success uh, if you want to be. You show up, you work hard. Everyone on this call has a great opportunity to do that. But, um, but you know, that, that really leads into what when, when I get asked the question of, well, what is career success? It's pretty easy to give a common definition. And the common definition, there's a lot of Venn diagrams on the internet about this, but basically if you can find a job where you've got some skills, where you have a passion and where the working world needs you, and you can find the intersection of those three things, you know, a lot of people call that the perfect job. And, and I think that's a very typical and common definition of success. And it's certainly where I started. When I was at Bellarmine, when I was at USC, um, you know, when, when uh, as Pat had mentioned, I had a, my junior year, I was uh, I was doing pretty well in the, in the sports program and I, I uh, injured my back, had to drop out of SC, had back surgery. Um, my athletic career was over uh, at that moment. I didn't want to admit it. And it took me quite a while to pivot and realize that there was maybe another reason I needed to go back to college and and uh, what's this thing about a career in life? And, and I was probably a little bit of a slow, slow starter at that point. But, um, you know, I was fortunate that, and kind of fought through that, got my accounting degree um, and, and was able, as Pat mentioned, you know, a lot of it was because I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I want to learn about different industries. I needed to pay rent um, and I wanted to stay in L.A. I had a girlfriend there who now 22 years later is my wife. Um, so so I was very fortunate um, on all that. But. Again, my definition of success early on was, hey, if I like something, if I got skills for it and the world needs me, that's great. But I think it's 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 really limited. And this brings me really to the, to the second point. And that is the opportunity to reframe, reframe the definition of career success. And, and it's a challenge um, to every one of you. And in fact, um, as I was trying to figure out you know, what to say today, my wife sent me a text message this morning and, and pretty timely because RBG uh, obviously has been pretty influential in the world, just passed away. And um, this is actually a, a quote I want to read from uh, an interview she did with the New York Times. And it was actually part of a daily podcast. But RBG said, whatever you choose to do, leave tracks. Don't do things just for yourself because in the end, it's not going to be fully satisfying. You'll want to leave the world a little better. There's no satisfaction that a person can gain from just turning over a buck. That's equal to the satisfaction that you would get from knowing that you've made another's life, your community, a little better for your effort. And so this is the second real point I want to land. 
you know, yes, there's a traditional definition of success, but then this is a perspective that RBG shared that, you know, Bellarmine shares, and that's really one of the core tenets of, of, and pillars of which the Jesuit uh, process is, is founded upon. But I think it's interesting, and there's, there's three specific places in my career that I want to call out um, for three individuals that made a difference um, for, for my path that, to be totally frank at the time, I had no idea they were doing. Um, the first person was, was a coach. Um, and, and, you know, at Bellarmine in the 80s, it was, uh, you know, we didn't have fancy buildings. We had asbestos in the art room. We had, we, it was a pretty funny place. And, um, but there was a coach that, that believed in me and completely kicked my ass every day. And, and I was young. I was about a year and a half young for my grade. I didn't know, I didn't know much, to be honest. And, and this person, um, you know, was, was really instrumental in aquatics and water polo and developing me into being a person that could, you know, handle life when it wasn't a, a cakewalk. And, and I didn't know it at the time. It actually took, um, it was actually about 20 or 25 years later that I'd realized that Larry Rogers, as coach of Bellarmine, what he had done for me. And, and I went to USC, I got a scholarship. I couldn't have afforded it if I wanted to. And I was just really fortunate. It just all kind of happened. And, and I'm not kidding. 20 years later, <clears throat> I was talking to Larry and I was like, hey, how, how did all this come to be? Remember? And he's like, well, I lobby for you. He's like, that was my job. And I didn't realize that this guy had gone out of his way in 1990, actually 1989, to lobby for me with coaches in college that were calling me at my home. I never stopped to think, like, how did they get my phone number at home? Why are they calling my parents? I didn't know. I was just kind of work, chilling up, working hard, cruising through, trying to do my SAT, get my you know, senior projects done, all that. And 20 years later, I realized that Larry had gone out of his way to help me without ever asking permission or what I wanted. And that, that's the first piece. And that was a big pivot in my life, in my career, to be able to get into college, play in college, and go to college, and, and, and quite frankly, to offset a lot of the costs of college. I was very fortunate for that. But it was the invisible hand of someone that went out of their way to do something for someone else. That was pretty amazing. That happened about uh, five years later uh, as well. And there's a, a gentleman named Reggie Lathan that um, I, I thought uh, a, a friend of mine was just introducing me to for fun. And this guy happened to be on the board of University of Virginia's uh, business school. And, and I, I literally thought I was going over his house just for business networking. I didn't know why I was, you know, hey, you should go meet Reggie, he's in LA. I was like, okay, great. Anyway, uh, an hour and a half later, I hit it off with this guy and. And uh, a, a few weeks after I applied to different business schools and, and I got in and I was like, wow, I got into a graduate school, even with mediocre undergrad grades. This is pretty cool. They're, they're number one this year. This is a big deal. Anyways, it was it was several years later that I had realized that Reggie um, had used really one opportunity or slot that he had had every year to, to, to give me a chance when I really didn't have the undergrad grades. Um, I had an interesting story, but I didn't have the years of experience of the others. I mean, I had about three years experience. Everyone else had five to seven. Um, my, my grade point average was definitely um, average at, at best and below their average. Yet this guy, Reggie, went out of his way to do this without me even knowing. And I didn't. I was so naive. I went into this, this discussion, which ended up being my interview for grad school, that I didn't even know that's what it was. And again, in in, in totally unselfish way. He went out of his way said, and he supported me. And that was a second pivot in my life. So not only did I get into to college that way, I got into graduate school that way. And you never know. Um, and then if I if I move forward, there was a, a third one where a visiting professor at Virginia 
came up to me in my last weeks in my second year of graduate school, and his name's John Glenn. And he's a pretty famous um, venture capitalist in the world, and he teaches at Stanford in Virginia. And, and, and John said, hey, if you ever want to start a company, I'd like to back you. And I didn't know where this came from. I had no idea. I just showed up. I just worked hard. And he went out of his way and did this. And it ended up that, um, that, that he ended up did backing me. It was weird. I had an offer to be backed, and I didn't even have an idea for a company at the time. And he went out of his way and risked his capital and his relationships and bet on me uh, when I was 26 years old to start a company. And these, this, is, this, this is really three individual stories about Larry Rogers, Reggie Lathan, and, and John Glenn, where they went out of their way and they didn't need to. Why did they bet on me? I don't know. Um, but what I want to do is, is take RBG's quote and reframe it for you all to think about what success is for true happiness and fulfillment in your careers. Is it who you bet on? Is it who you hire? Is it who you develop? Is it who you stay act extra hours and work hard for? It's sometimes what you do for others when they don't even know you're, that, that you're doing it for them that will actually drive much of your success in your career. And so I, I really uh, encourage you to consider that. And then the third thing, and this is a, this is a little bit, um, I actually thought twice given the social media world that we live in today, uh, about this, but but I want to leave um, you know a challenge on the table for each of you, and that is, uh, it was a challenge for me when I went to SC. A lot of what I did was for the girls, or for the the scholarship, or for the you know to get my name in the paper and the San Jose Mercury News or the Daily Trojan. And you know you think you're motivated by all these extrinsic things. And, and a mentor of mine, uh, his name's Cordell Sweeney, who ended up being the best man at my wedding. He 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 gave me a book that. Um, it's called The Edge, and it's a 1980s book by a wrestling high school wrestling coach in the Midwest. But this book in it had had, um, had one saying in particular that I think is fitting for people of Bellarmine and people of today that are so challenged by social media and the value of what other people think of us and how they value us. And uh, and so I want to read this. It's just um, it's short, but it but it's stuck with me, and I repeat it probably every week of my life to this day. Uh, the, the, and I'll, I'll send this out after, too. I can send it to Pat and you can send it around. But, but it's titled The Man in the Glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring you back in the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end. And you've passed your most difficult, dangerous test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. And, and a lot of people know this, and this is you know, it's from 1934, a lot of people rely upon it. But, you know, my, my career story does span everything from fishing tackle to entertainment industry to food service to technology to media. But, you know, and, and, I, and I didn't fit, quite frankly, in a normal box. I never have. I didn't want to be a, a finance person. I didn't want to work at, you know, in, in the consumer packaged goods industry, right? And so functions and industries never worked for me. And I had to reframe my own definition of success in my career, but a lot of it comes down to, you know, have I helped some others along the way? And and so I, 
Um, I encourage you to think about your definition of career and your definition of success and your definition of purpose. Um, you know, and, and in closing, I had a handful of things and then I'm just want to open it up for questions, but, you know, kind of snaps rules, if you will, for my own career. One, never wait for a flash of light to show you the way. Pick a path, set a goal, go after it and adjust as you go. Because very rarely is there a flash of light that tells you exactly what you should be doing when. So don't worry about it. Get over it. You know, I think that that's a really important piece of the puzzle. I think the second the next thing is really um, about adversity, which is, you know, we're all living this year. You guys are going to be going to college in a recession coming out of it and, and hopefully be out of the recession by the time you get out of college. Who knows? But I want you all to realize that life will kick you. And, and sometimes it'll kick you when you're already down. But that's OK. Recessions happen. People get fired. You will fail. If you don't fail, are you trying hard enough? You know, you're so fortunate for what you have and your network and your environment that it's okay. Take things head on, rise again. Never forget that. Always rise again. I do think that that a big part of life is showing up and working hard. And hopefully in my story of a few people that made a difference in my life to understand that, that I didn't even know that there were going to be doors that would open for me when I started down a path. But if you show up and you work hard, those doors will appear. And you might not even know that it's a door, but you'll get the chance to walk through it. And so as you go through your career, it's like a story that unfolds where you don't know what the next chapter might bring. But if you show up and work hard, there will be doors. And really in closing, I, I would just encourage you to be honest with yourself and realize that careers and business um, they're about people. Um, you can master a trade. You can become a, a surgeon. You can um, become a priest. It, it doesn't matter. You could be a theologian. You'd be you'd be an amazing Shakespeare expert. But at the end of the day, business and life is about people. And I encourage you to be human first. When you're looking for your first job, when you're when you're managing your first person, when you're thinking about what industry to go in, put all that in the background and put the people front and center. Because I think if you take care of the people, they'll take care of you. And that's how the world goes around. So those are just kind of snaps, thoughts, a couple of stories. Um, and, and really with that, I open it up for any questions and, and uh, I'm excited to be here. So thanks again, Pat. Oh, thank you, Lawrence. That was that was excellent. Uh, Samarth and Ashok, you guys want to moderate the questions and and uh, see what's out there? Yeah, so. Um, for those of you who filled out questions on the form, we're going to have Samarth ask those to Mr. Schnapp. And in the meantime, if you have any questions that came up while listening to his presentation, just send me a Microsoft Teams message in the chat feature. Uh, my name is Ashok Ronkumar, um, and I can ask those to Mr. Schnapp as well. Uh, Samarth, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank you, Mr. Schnapp, really for taking the time out of your day uh, to speak to us, I think. Uh, it means a lot to, to the guys who showed up. Um, and it's some really great advice. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, with that being said, um, we had a question uh, sent in yesterday. And the question is, how do you choose, in your opinion, a career path that is right for you? How do you kind of zone into what you think is right for you? Yeah, I do think that it, it um, it's a question that, quite frankly, if I have honest conversations with people even my age that are almost 50, People are still wrestling with that question and that's okay. So the first thing I'd say is don't try to find the perfect path. I don't think it exists. 
I think you need to look at different options that might be available or interests that you might have or what the world is demanding at that time that gives you purpose and meaning and just go for it and be okay if you got to pivot on that path. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And again, when I have really good conversations with my friends and they're deeply honest, they maybe aren't doing exactly what they want to be doing. And maybe even 30 years into their career, they haven't figured out exactly what that is, but that's okay. You wake up every day, you show up, you work hard, you're good, you, you're with people, you you help people whether they know it or not every day. And all of a sudden these doors open and you get momentum and excitement in your career path. So don't think so much as far as the function or the industry you want to go into, although I know that's front and center a lot of times. Um, I think you got to find something that resonates with you and just go after it and see what doors that opens on the journey. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I just wanted to echo what Samarth said. Thank you a lot for taking your time out of your day to, to help us out here. Um, one question that I personally had was um, during your presentation, you talked a lot about how you sort of redefined success. And I was just curious how you like sort of use that new definition in your current uh, company, Carmia, and how that's sort of working right now. Yeah, um, so, so you had two points on, on redefining your definition. Uh, and sometimes you do have to reframe things, right? You have to have perspective. You look at things differently and all of a sudden, like the light does go on. Um, you know, every year that I'm in my career, the more I realize how it is the people I've helped or that have helped me that has really created fulfillment in what I would define as success in my career. And what happened with um, Carmia, which has been a journey, quite frankly, I don't want to strike the call on the last two years, is, um, is I was recruited out by a company that's the largest uh, fundraiser in the world for charities. And what resonated with me in this opportunity was I was able to apply my skills and experiences uh, from technology and build, starting building and fixing businesses. And, and I say that deliberately because you never start and build a business perfect. You always got to fix it. Uh, the world changes. You don't do it perfectly. Get, that's normal. But Carmia is a really interesting thing. I'll be launching next quarter. And, and what it is, is literally um, tools for, for people to manage their cost-based life. All charities in one place, safe, private, secure, um, and it's a marketplace. You can say between donors and charities. But what I, I believe is that um, humanity actually has enough resources to solve its needs. And, uh, and, and so in a weird way, this kind of thought of creating a marketplace, given my skills, where I'm connecting humanity's resources to its needs through charities, was uh, uh, an opportunity and a challenge I couldn't turn down because it is core to that that desire of, of helping others in, in a journey. So it's kind of one of that, you know, a, a chapter of the book that, that I didn't expect maybe for another 10, 15 years to get involved in this space. Um, but, you know, hopefully Carmia will be a place that does connect the dots between the resources and needs of the world um, and, and remove some of the friction. And technology really needs to do that and help. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. Thank you. Um, and then we had another question. This is mainly regarding your time at Bellarmine. The question is, what classes or activities at Bellarmine really impacted you the most? It could be regular activities or regular classes or extracurriculars. Yeah, that's I, I, a great question. I'd, I'd say there's um, there's probably three or four things that if I if I just step back as I was reflecting even last night on what I was going to say today that that resonate with me about my time at Bellarmine. Um, you know, the first thing is is athletics was was a big deal to me. Um, I could come in and I could swim, but I couldn't throw a ball for the life of me, and I was a lot shorter and smaller than other people. Um, 
you know, and, and so athletics was a big deal, but that really just taught me to show up and work hard and get my butt kicked at times and still have to get back up and, and get elbowed and break my nose, but still have to play through. I mean, I learned a lot about that. I think the, um, the, the second thing where I actually met a lot of really good friends was getting involved in intramurals, um, sports that I had never played. And, and um, I ended up being the intramural commissioner. I don't know how much they still have of that these days, but but that was really fun. And some of my friends today are actually from intramural teams back then. And, and that's that's pretty exciting. I think the third big memory um, was actually my freshman retreat. And it sounds crazy. I actually still keep a business card that at the time it said uh, men for others. And now I know it's uh, for and with others. But but I actually keep this. We all had to sign the six of us in our little group in the freshman retreat had to sign that. And I still keep in touch with with the guys on that business card. Uh, but that freshman treat was pretty meaningful and a pivot in my life to like open my eyes to realize there was there was others there that I could create a, a network and a, and a support group with. Um, and that lasts, you know, this is what I don't want to date myself, but 30 years later. Um, so anyway, those are a few of the things that were big and meaningful to me that I got involved with sports, intramurals and some of the ministry, you know, and retreat type opportunities. And, and they're still you know, they're making their impression today. That's awesome. Uh, thank you, Mr. Snap, for that. Um, one other question uh, someone had was, given your like immense experience with startups, I think one thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is creativity that's required for startups. So could you maybe give us an example of how you're able to use your creativity to make a, a startup idea really grow? Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I don't always fit in the box. Um, creativity, you know, on the outside looking in, you think is, uh, a beautiful picture, something artistic, something, um, you know, design sensibility that makes a product amazing looking. My, my creative skills aren't there. Um, creativity for me is around problem solving. It's around um, finding, um, you know, disparate parts that when they come together can be a solution for something that hasn't been done before. And so my creative skills are probably much more intrinsic for business and where technology intersects companies in industries. And, and so that's how I define creativity. Those are more my skills for creativity is just looking at things differently than others. Uh, but it's not like always the beautiful thing that you see. It's it's taking an industry like, you know, Carmia is attacking where you've got 5 billion people that donate $700 billion a year to 5 million charities worldwide, yet there's no technical, you know, solution or marketplace for that. Right. So I see that and I say, hey, I can create an eBay for that. And that's that's the creativity that I really bring to the table. So so I encourage people to think of creativity in different ways. That's true. Thank you. Um, I think we have another question. So the question is, you have worked at large companies such as Microsoft, as you mentioned. What prompted you to come back to I know you started off at a startup that you created. And then you went to Microsoft. What prompted you to come back to creating your own stuff? Yeah, uh, it was a great question. I mean, my, my career originally started at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers um, before it was called Coopers and Wyram, which is just at a big accounting firm. Uh, and I encourage people to consider that, um, even though we all want to start companies and build them from you know right away in our dorm room. The reality is, big companies have great training programs and meet a great network, and they're not a bad thing. I went through my career, and I had done. Um, couple of startups, built stuff, some did well. In 2008, I got my teeth kicked in from that recession. 
didn't do well, but then I ended up having a great chapter afterwards with, with a Chinese company that was not small, but not huge. And, um, and through a relationship I had had 10 years earlier, someone said, hey, Microsoft's looking for a turnaround team and, and there's only four slots, would you wanna consider it? And I, I really just was at that point in my life where I said, hey, I wouldn't mind taking my skills and what I've learned and applying them to a company that big, which is really more of a government. I mean, they had 140,000 employees, the stock hadn't moved in 12 years when I got there. And I just, wow, if I could do it there, I can do it anywhere. And that really did, um, it was great. It was meaningful for me, but it was also to be candid, probably a little bit too big um, for where I wanted to be with kids that were growing up and I was on the road, you know, 50 weeks a year. So I had to, you know, pivot away from that as well, but it was a great chapter and I feel very fortunate and there's nothing wrong with big companies or startups. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I had another question for you. So you've obviously faced a lot of adversity, not only like on a personal level of like the back surgery Mr. Arnold mentioned, but also in like obviously with startups, there's a lot of issues that come there. So what sort of mentality do you take when faced with adversity and how do you think we should be sort of facing adversity either in our high school careers or in the future? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think it's a timely question with the pandemic as well. Um, listen, I, I get anxious. Um, I get nervous that I won't be able to do something. I, I try to conquer big hills, but I realize um, that, that more important than anything is probably just taking each of the tasks and breaking it down into little steps. So every night I make my list for the next day and I just kind of figure it's a little bit of a stone cutter mentality. Um, I had some relatives that were literally Italian stone cutters and you know, their, their mindset and philosophy was always, if you just keep banging on the stone, you never see that it's cracking. And then all of a sudden one time you hit it and it cracks. And so that's the approach that I bring every day to work. That's how I think of huge challenges, but you know, never forget that you eat an elephant one bite at a time. I, I think that. I love that. Um, Hey, Lawrence, um, you know, Mr. Arnold here, uh, a, a quick question for you. You know, yesterday, as we were preparing for this call, um, it was amazing. I, I anticipated spending about 15 minutes with you. And next thing you know, I looked at my watch and it was well over an hour. And, and really what struck me in our conversation was the level of intellectual curiosity that you had. Um, you know, in, in, in our conversation, you know, we talked about your first accounting job, your back surgery, but we touched on so many other things throughout our conversation. And I'm wondering who really, you know, kind of encouraged you to really discover your your intellectual curiosity. And, you know, was it was it one of the, the mentors we talked about? Um, anyway, I, I found that to be the most interesting part of our conversation was was really the depth of your understanding and, and interest in the world. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, as I reflect back on, on where did it come from, where did it start? I mean, the truth is, is that I was seen as a jock, but internally I was probably a nerd. Uh, and I think that a lot of people that know me really well today would probably still say that's true. I mean, I'm a complete nerd. I'll dive deep into something like you've never seen. Um, people joke about my microscope that I, I can get out. Um, but no, I think I think it goes back, and, and it's probably my dad, um, who was went to a Jesuit high school in Detroit, um, and and the Jesuit kind of values and philosophy. And and people say, and it probably would offend some, but you know, people say, oh, what religion are you? And I said, well, I'm 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 a Jesuit. 
you know, I want to be a Jesuit. And, oh, you mean Catholic? No, no, no. Well, actually, a Jesuit, have you, have you heard of, studied their values and why? And, and so I would say that's a lot of the fabric upon which I've stood in my life. And, and the intellectual curiosity, I mean, that ability to learn and never stop learning and have a thirst for it is a fun addiction. And I encourage everyone to not be afraid to learn and make mistakes and push yourself and learn from them because um, no one can steal that from me. Right. I mean, I will be learning until my last breath and I'm I'm excited. And I learn from each and every one of you. And, and so it wasn't necessarily one person, Pat, but I think it was probably a Jesuit um, mindset and background and the values that were instilled by dozens of people. That's great. All right, I think those are all the questions we had uh, for you, Mr. Snap. I don't know if any if any of the guys have any other questions. Um, if you does guys Jackson, have any questions. Does Jackson want to ask a question of his dad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm okay. good. Okay, how about, um, you know, I, Lawrence, I, I don't know if I told you, we, we are blessed with the presence of Father Wade and Father Cobb, and I don't know if they want to they wanna ask a question and, and bring this bring this great discussion to an end well can you hear me this is father yeah. Jerry Wade. can you hear yeah. me okay yeah um it's interesting uh lawrence um the uh, group of what they call themselves the old timers uh guys that, and gals ladies who have retired over the time and so father Cobb and i right before this was on a, a zoom call with uh, a number of teachers you know ed, ed Surrett, um uh, Father Reese was on there, the principal, when you were here, and uh, Gary Cunningham and a whole bunch of people. But also comes regularly every week to this is Larry Rogers. And so I, I had the chance to tell him that I was going to jump into uh, listening to you. So Larry said to be sure to say hello to you. And uh, I know what you mean by Larry. <laughs> he, uh, he made you who you were. But, but also, you know, I think it's important to, to uh, maybe... Uh, uh, share what you're doing all the time with your parents. I think your mother pushed you a little bit too because she was really with water puddle along the sidelines also. So listen to your parents, guys. I think sometime they're for you and they're going to be maybe give you some practical advice too. But anyway, Lawrence, it's, it's great to have you back and now to have uh, Jackson too with us here, okay? Yeah, well, thank you, Father Wade, for everything. I mean, I don't think people on this call realize the opportunity to connect with Father Wade and how magical it can be for your whole life. So I encourage you, Father Wade, Father Cobb, some of these, you know, old timers, as he calls them, uh, you know, they're, they're really the uh, uh, the fabric and they are Jesuits. They're living examples of Jesuits, people you can come become as well. And, and I encourage you to challenge yourself to aspire. I certainly uh, have appreciated everything Father Wade and aspire to, to be more like you and Father Cobb and Larry Rogers every day of my life. So thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I want to thank you, uh, too, Lawrence. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, there you are. Can you hear you? We got um, Father Cobb. I, I would just, you know, um, what struck me um, through your conversation there was the idea of the impact that we have on one another. And you're you're telling the young man and us, uh, Jerry and myself, the, the our concern for others as people, and. Um, when we think of all the negatives that we're going through in this pandemic, I think when it's all over, I think we're going to realize how much 
each of us means to the other person. And um, that, that could, we have to look, you, you talked about optimism. And um, I think that can be an optimistic view of what we're experiencing right now, that um, we're truly going to look to, at others, I, at least I am, in a different way and not take people for granted. Um, so I, I really thank you for sharing what you had today and, and great questions by the kids too. Um, yeah. Students, kids, <laughs> young men, all right. Father Cobb was my freshman English teacher and I was not a very good English student at the time. So the yeah. fact that I got through a, a presentation and spoke English, I feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And, you well, know, you know, Lawrence, Lawrence, again, thank you so much for taking the time um, and and really some some great pearls of wisdom that you've you've brought upon us today. So I appreciate that so much. Um, and again, really, your presentation was so thoughtful um, and, and helpful with respect to the young men on the call, really just providing guidance as, as they go along this journey. And guys, just understand the importance of overcoming adversity, but not being afraid of adversity, right? Because that's, that's really where we get tested and we, we become stronger. And, and through Lawrence's, Mr. Stapp's story, I think you guys understand, you know, how important that is. Um, and, and again, you know, what I really appreciate is Mr. Snap taking the time to really, you know, present to you guys in a thoughtful manner about what's impacted his career. And, and hopefully it provides some guidance to you guys. But a huge thank you to Mr. Snap. Yeah. Um, and with that, let's end it um, with, as we always do, with the Go Bells. Okay. So, uh, on three, one, two, three, go, 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 go. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank, thank you, guys. You. And again, thank you, thank you Lawrence. Good.